Hello Rebels, it is your Rebel Commander Ezra Levant here. You are listening to a free audio-only recording of my TV-style show, The Ezra Levant Show. Oh, today, what a story. Um, an incredible announcement from Justin Trudeau involving the defense minister who's going to be involved in monitoring Canadian journalism, including newspaper editorials. And there will be government-sponsored, I swear to God, I'm, making it, I'm not making this up, government-sponsored awareness sessions. <laughs> oh my God, you got to listen to this one. And I interview our newest rebel talent we have hired. Oh, she's a fighter. Her name is Janet A Janice Atkinson. She is a member of the European Parliament. How do you like them apples? Uh, she's joining our UK team, but she fights for everyone. I'll talk to her. Um, if you like listening to this podcast, then I think you would love watching it. But in order to watch it, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long format TV style shows on The Rebel. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you get access to watching My Daily Show, as well as other great TV style shows too. Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies. It's only eight bucks a month to subscribe. Uh, which is like half the cup of uh, Starbucks coffee, right? Uh, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And uh, just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. So just go to the rebel.media slash shows to become a member. And uh, please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are actually a great way to support The Rebel without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show and the crazy news about government awareness sessions. I'll see you at the awareness session. Tonight, Justin Trudeau announces a government plan to monitor political editorials in the next election campaign, and the media party is fine with it because they know he's not coming for them. It's January 31st, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, this whole foreign meddling in our elections thing, it really is an American conspiracy theory, a pathetic attempt to excuse why Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 presidential election. But now that same conspiracy theory is being imported to Canada by Justin Trudeau as an excuse to crack down on illegal campaigning by Russians or whomever. Now, obviously, I'm against foreign meddling in Canadian elections, but Trudeau really isn't. In fact, Trudeau and the Liberals collect foreign spending in Canada. They Welcome it. They scoop it up. Just like Hillary Clinton scooped up donations for the Clinton Foundation from all sorts of foreign dictatorships. Um, here's a report in the National Post from a few years ago showing that foreign donations to the Trudeau Foundation skyrocketed right after Justin Trudeau was elected. Foreign donations. Foreigners. And the Trudeau Foundation cashed the checks. Trudeau's in-house think tank called Canada 2020 boasted about the fact that it was sponsored by Huawei, the Chinese cell phone company. Well, uh, until last month, when suddenly they scrubbed their website. Here's an archived screenshot of the main page of Canada 2020. Just a reminder, this is a private lobby group run by Justin Trudeau's longtime friend, Tom Pitfield. Uh, it's where Trudeau's policy ideas are worked out in secret, as in away from Parliament 
and then it pushed on to Parliament. So look right at the bottom of the main page. Lobbyists absolutely love Canada 2020. Look at it. All those different companies lobbying, dumping huge buckets of cash into Trudeau's think tank because it's a backdoor way to give money to Trudeau and his party without having to disclose it, without being limited by the rule against corporate donations or foreign donations. But you see there, do you see Huawei in that middle line there? Almost right in the middle of the page, uh, two over from Google. That's Huawei. That's that Chinese telecom company that has basically put Canada and China into a diplomatic war. So that was a screenshot of the front page of Canada 2020's website last month. And now look this month. Scroll down and it's a miracle. Folks, we got ourselves a miracle here. Huawei is no longer on the front page of Canada 2020, but the internet is forever. I showed you what it was like just last month. I mean, come on. Do you think they actually gave the money back to Huawei? Yeah, liberals, the money only goes one way, and that's to the liberals. It never goes out. So yeah, foreign meddling. Or remember this, the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation and their multi-million dollar tar sands campaign from a decade ago to destroy the oil patch by cutting off pipelines. It worked, as you know. And look inside this campaign plan. Look at all the different front groups that were being paid for by the Rockefellers out of New York, including the World Wildlife Fund. You can see their logo in the top right. And you can also see the Pembina Institute near the bottom right. Uh, the former president of the Pembina Institute, Marlo Reynolds, he's now Catherine McKenna's chief of staff. And the former president of the World Wildlife Fund is Gerald Butts, who's Justin Trudeau's principal secretary. There really is a straight line between foreign meddling in our politics right into the prime minister's office. So yeah, they're not against foreign meddling. I've shown you this list here before of over 100 so-called third-party lobby groups who campaigned for Justin Trudeau in the 2015 election. Only one campaign for Harper out of this more than 100. Um, including a George Soros front group called Avaz, and they literally list their New York City address in their filings. Imagine how brazen you are. Imagine how confident you have to be that the system is so rigged that you literally disclose that you're a foreign lobby group breaking the law, you're illegally campaigning in a Canadian election, and you actually have the chutzpah to tell that to Elections Canada, and they publish it, and you know you're just going to be just fine, because that's how the Liberals roll. So yeah, we have foreign meddling in Canada every day for Trudeau, against the oil patch, against Stephen Harper, and yeah, it's not from Russia. It's from lobby groups. It's from companies, and frankly, it's from China, or at least Huawei. So all this was the excuse that Justin Trudeau used yesterday to announce that he's setting up an emergency committee, including with our defense minister, if you can believe it, to stand on guard for our Canadian election, to make sure that no Russians meddle with it. Here, take a look. Nothing is more important to this government than protecting our democracy and ensuring that our next election is fair and free. That is why we um, have, as a have a government-wide plan to prepare and respond to threats. As Minister, uh, Minister Gold has announced, our plan includes four areas of actions. The first of which is combating foreign interference. The front line of our efforts to fight foreign interference is made up of Canada's three security agencies, including the Communications Security Establishment, for which I am responsible, and together with the RCMP and CSIS, these three security agencies work every day to protect Canada's national security, the safety of Canadians, and the integrity of our elections. Okay, now if that's all there were, if that's all it was, 
that's fine. I don't want Russia, or more likely China, hacking our election. I feel good that we have paper ballots in Canada that can't be hacked online. I'm still quite worried about our election integrity. As you know, the liberals have abolished the requirement for photo ID to vote. I'm far more worried about that than Vladimir Putin, frankly. But fine. If you want to guard against the Ruskies, I'm cool with that. It would have been a nice to have some of this Russophobia a bit more during the Cold War when we actually needed it. But Pierre Trudeau loved the Soviet communists almost as much as he loved the Cuban communists. Um, so far, so okay. But, but then we heard this. We are dedicated, dedicating $7 million towards digital news and civic literacy programming that will help Canadians critically assess news reporting and editorials, know how and when malicious actors exploit online platforms, and acquire skills on how to avoid being susceptible to online manipulation by malicious actors. Oh, really? So Trudeau's liberals are going to monitor the media, monitor journalism, monitor editorials in, in an election? The government is. And, and you're passing that off as standing on guard against Soviet tanks or something? The liberals won't lift a finger to Huawei other than to cash the check. Uh, the liberals won't stand up to our real enemies like Cuba and Iran. But the liberals are using our real enemies in as, as an excuse to regulate the Canadian media? Really? Oh, and we're supposed to trust the Liberal Party to appoint journalism monitors during an election campaign where the Liberal Party is a party in the campaign. So, so it's like a hockey game where one team gets to choose the referees. Yeah, that sounds fair. Of course, this is Canada, and we don't believe in referees for free speech. It's not a hockey game. The only rule for the game of campaigns is listed in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We have free speech. That's it. There is no provision in the Charter saying, subject to Justin Trudeau's hand-picked media monitors and their budget and police officers and the defense minister. Of course, they're not actually going to monitor for election meddling. They're going to commit election meddling. You just saw the meddlers. It's Robert Conquest's third law. He's a historian who said, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, the behavior of any bureaucratic organization can best be understood by assuming that it is controlled by a secret cabal of its enemies. As in, this liberal committee isn't about ensuring that journalism is free. It's about ensuring that it is not free. Let me read to you from an astounding document released by Trudeau yesterday called Enhancing Citizen Preparedness. So I can't even read that with a straight face. Now, they started off by talking about cyber terrorism or whatever. But again, that's not really what this is about. You'll recall that just a couple of months ago, Ralph Goodale, our public security minister, said he was going to order Canada's spy agencies to stop saying that Muslims and Sikh extremists are a risk. That they are a risk. That's what the police say. They just are. But Ralph Goodale is putting the Liberal Party's ethnic politics ahead of safety. So he literally instructed, he ordered police to rewrite their briefing notes to say that Muslim terrorism and Sikh extremism are, are not a threat. So yeah, stop pretending that the real essence here is to keep us safe from terrorism or foreigners. It's about keeping Canadians safe from political commentaries the Liberals don't like, including commentaries from us here at The Rebel. Here, take a read of this. I'm going to read two paragraphs. In addition, the government is dedicating $7 million towards digital news and civic literacy programming, helping Canadians better understand online deceptive practices that can reduce the impact of efforts by malicious actors. 
Okay, hang on. So Justin Trudeau is going to tell us with $7 million worth of money in the course of an election campaign, which is a huge addition to what his own Liberal Party has as a war chest. And of course, it's going to be his political allies on this committee, so it's really just an auxiliary Liberal war room. Trudeau's going to tell us what news to believe and what news not to believe? What's deceptive and what's not? What if he's the deceiver? So, so when Justin Trudeau lied to the public and lied to the media about taking a secret vacation on a billionaire's island in the Bahamas, and he kept that secret from the public, kept it secret even from the ethics office of parliament, when that story broke, he denied it at first because he's a liar. Would Trudeau's new election deception war room have told you not to believe the rumors and not to believe the conspiracy theories and not to believe the malicious actors, but to believe the liberal experts, to believe the government, to believe him? Is that how they would have covered that if it had broken in an election campaign? Of course Trudeau and his whole team were lying. In fact, Trudeau was later convicted of breaking the law four times for his lying. He was convicted of four counts under the Conflict of Interest Act. First time any prime minister has been con convicted of that act while they were sitting prime minister. It's crazy. Or remember when Bill Morneau, Trudeau's finance minister, lied about his French villa? He refused to disclose it publicly, and then he claimed, well, I just forgot about it. You know, I just got so many French villas, I just forgot about this one. And, and it was only a determined journalist who reported. So would that determined journalist have been condemned and discredited by this new state-run media regulator? I mean, of course, Trudeau and his liberal war room are going to lie about these things, and that's to be expected. And all the parties have their competing war rooms, and we take all of them with a grain of salt. But that's not what Trudeau's doing here. He's proposing a government-run war room that will still attack his enemies, but it'll use government money and government resources and government police and government soldiers, I guess, and government authority and the reputation of the government. And he's going to pretend that somehow it's about politics when they're reviewing politics. It's not about politics. And look what they plan to do. Let me, let me, let me read some more. The government plans on teaching you how to think and what to believe. Let me quote. The government will support skills development, awareness sessions. That sounds like something right out of Chairman Mao. Are you going to your awareness session tonight? Don't be late to your awareness session. Come to the awareness session. And by the way, they're taking notes of who's the, the first to stop clapping. So you better clap really hard when they say Trudeau at the awareness session. See the awareness session tonight. So they're having awareness sessions, workshops, and learning material for Canadians. These activities would help citizens to critically assess online news reporting and editorials. I'm serious. I'm serious. This is what they're saying. Recognize how and when malicious actors exploit online platforms and acquire skills on how to avoid being susceptible to online manipulation. How about, uh, how about manipulation at these awareness sessions? Well, can I get a session on how to be aware of manipulation at the session? This is real. So Trudeau is using your tax dollars to hire handpick liberal allies who will tell you the right way and the wrong way to read the news and the right people and the wrong people to listen to and to believe who is malicious and who, like Trudeau, is only motivated by good things. And online manipulation, I love that part. You see, see when Trudeau does that, he persuades, it's his opponents who manipulate. Trudeau's foreign donors, they're global citizens, including Huawei. Now, I don't know of any foreign donors on the right, uh, but if they were, they would be a national security emergency. Left-wing newspapers, they're reputable. Critics like us, well, 
He's going to throw $7 million at us to denounce us. And he'll surely do much more behind the scenes to tell YouTube and Facebook and Twitter to cut us off. Do you doubt it? He has said as much himself. Remember this? It is disappointing to see the conservatives and uh, Max, uh, the, the, mem the member opposite engage in peddling uh, rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. It is disappointing to see the conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. It is disappointing to see the conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. Huh. You know, I'd normally end things here. But this is just part of Trudeau's efforts. Bashing the media he doesn't like, demonizing the media he doesn't like, denormalizing it, having, this, having soldiers involved. The Minister of Defense is involved in this. But look, that might not go over so well in a country that, that loves a free press. I mean, there might be some other journalists, not, not a lot of them these days, but there might be a few who would, you know, say, hey, this whole monitoring journalist thing, this whole awareness sessions thing led by the government, it's a bit more Venezuela style, Iran style, than Canada style. We don't, we don't believe in governments hitting the media or news consumers with a stick. Awareness sessions, were they crazy? Well, you see, that's where the carrot comes in. So there's the stick, but there's a carrot. Because if Trudeau can buy off the rest of the media with, oh, I don't know, $595 million in bailout money, maybe they'll be docile and compliant, and voila. Here's CTV, how they reported on yesterday. They're probably going to be the largest recipient or second largest recipient of Trudeau's bailout funds. They're already heavily regulated by Trudeau. In some ways, they're even more compliant than the CBC because they're more vulnerable. And look at their headline on this story. Feds unveil veil plan to tackle fake news interference in 2019 election. Is that, is that what they're doing, really? If Stephen Harper had announced on the eve of his election in 2015 that he was going to handpick a media monitor and give that media monitor seven million bucks to weigh into journalism during a political campaign and have awareness sessions, do you really think that excited news burst would be the headline? Now, this is, this is a very long report by CTV, the one I just mentioned. It's really a love letter, but let me read to you in its totality the entire reference to the media interference provisions that I read to you. So this is all CTV has to say about it. It's a very long article. This is all they have to say. They say, educating citizen literacy on fake news. Lastly, the government is launching a new campaign for citizen literacy about misinformation online. This will encourage Canadians to read a diversity of sources, think before they share information. I'm so glad the government told me to think. I wasn't gonna. Ask them to think critically about what they see, question if messages are trying to influence them, and encourage them to rely on trusted sources for news. I love you guys. As part of this effort, the government is spending $7 million on digital news and civic literacy programming. Our democracy is strongest when, when all our citizens can vote without the threat of interference, said Sajan. That, that's it. That's all they have to say. That's, that's, that's the totality of it. So you have a minister of defense. A minister of defense saying he's going to fight against the threat, his words, posed by Canadians choosing news that Justin Trudeau doesn't approve of. And, and that's it. That's, that's how CTV reports that. But of course, because they're paid off, they're bought off. They're all bought off. 595 million bucks. You'd do it too for 595 million. Well, maybe you wouldn't. I mean, we're not.
Now you might say, Ezra, this is an exaggeration. Don't say bought off. That's fake news. Mm. Well, actually, and I just learned this today, the media party has been having secret meetings. Secret meetings to talk about how to divide up the $595 million bailout. It's like crooks after a bank heist. They sit around the table, count the money, and figure out who gets what. Now, you couldn't make this stuff up. It sounds like fake news. Well, let me ask you, if the media party were meeting in secret with a Trudeau-approved political activist running the meeting, do you think those media companies would tell you, now I know you're thinking, Ezra, it's crazy, conspiracy theory, shut up. Well, weirdly, one of the journalists in the meeting blabbed about it. A left-wing activist journalist named Jesse Brown, who runs an alt-left clickbait site called Canada Land. Someone told me that Brown was invited to one of these bailout meetings and that he talked about it on his podcast. So I listened. And he was invited, and he did blab about it. Ooh, I don't think he's going to be invited back. You see... This is the other half of the censorship story, because Trudeau would not dare to have the Minister of Defense warning Canadians about reading the wrong editorials and demanding you go to your awareness sessions. Trudeau couldn't get away with threatening Facebook with penalties if they don't delete his enemy's comments. Trudeau couldn't do that if he didn't pay off the mainstream media to look the other way. And he has, and they are. And Jesse Brown blabbed about it. He did a podcast here. I'm going to play a few clips from his podcast. Take a listen. It's the second meeting like this that I've gone to as this news bailout process. Um, I, I was invited very similarly in the very early stages to come. And they said, you can come and have a seat at the table as we discuss a possible federal government news subsidy. But you cannot say who was there and you cannot say who said what. But you can say that it happened and that you went and you can kind of talk in broad strokes about it. And this was like a tricky decision for me because I cover the media. So I don't like agreeing to gag orders of any kind. And I have this kind of like internal discussion with myself like, well, am I better knowing the stuff or not knowing it? Is that how we make laws and policy and budgets in Canada in secret elite invitation only meetings? So, so not in parliament, not in committees, not, not even in public forums, in, in secret? Oh, you better believe it. And if you can believe it, Trudeau apparently hired an American to facilitate the meeting, an American who worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Pierre Omidyar, the guy behind The Intercept. So he throws this thing, a very sexy title, Public Investment in Journalism, a Collaborative Policy Development Workshop. As titles go, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it rolls off the tongue. And it was uh, held like in, you know, kind of unlisted in some room at this uh, Democracy Exchange Democracy Summit. The whole thing is kind of from the Democracy Exchange Summit, which I think like the, one of the guys behind it is like a guy, a navigator. I don't know, like untangle this stuff. So, so this is at Ryerson University. Anyhow, what can I tell you? We sat around. The idea was getting stakeholders together. And I can't tell you who was there, but I can tell you that, like, if you think about who are stakeholders in a media bailout, you know, the unions, the media organizations themselves, government's a stakeholder, whoever organizationally you might think of as a stakeholder was represented, I guess with one exception, the public. There was nobody there representing the public. But I was not there to be a pain in the ass, necessarily. Hey, um, guys. Um... I think we found some foreign meddling in our election. I think we found it. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, obviously, these being leftists 
all they care about is milking you and your tax dollars. Take a listen to this. A big company that had a big audience, they said, well, this should be determined by how big your audience is. And then other people who were from companies where they felt like, well, we have the best values. They said it should be values-based. And other people said, well, no, it should be about innovation, uh, startups. And no, it should be innovation-based as to who gets. So everybody had their own idea that was like a thinly disguised version of like me. I get the money, my thing. I don't want to be left out. And I chimed in to say, dudes, it doesn't matter. Like however you define what a journalist is. Sounds like the Unifor Journalism Union was there. I think that's, that's what it sounded like to me. It makes sense. I mean, Unifor the largest uh, journalist union, they publicly declared war on the conservatives in the upcoming campaign, if you remember this tweet. They're spending their members' union dues on that campaign. So obviously Trudeau and the Clinton staff are running this thing are going to richly, richly reward them. Now, I obviously wasn't invited to this, but it sure sounds like they talked about me. I mean, not me, myself as a person, but me as the personification of the rebel is in me, a stand-in for our other journalists, our independent journalism, and me as a stand-in for you, you, the people who were excluded, you, the people who need to be re-educated at awareness sessions. Oh my God, awareness. Did you, I didn't see you at the awareness session last week. I'm gonna need a doctor's note for that. You and me were mocked at this meeting by the elites, led by some Hillary Clinton staffer brought in by Trudeau to tell us how it's gonna be. I think that Jesse Brown has a few drops of genuine journalist left in him. He, he says this is his second secret meeting, but obviously he's broken the secret, the first person to do so. I don't think he's going to be invited back. I think there's a small part of Jesse Brown that realizes that when you're paid by the government to be a journalist, you're not a journalist anymore. To be crude, it's like sex. When you're paid for sex, you become a prostitute. I think Jesse Brown knows that, and he also knows that the rest of us know that, and I think he has a tiny part of his brain saying, don't do it. You're going to call me that forever if I take the dough. The amount of discredit that that is heaping upon any journalist and journalism itself is as big a crisis, I think, as the financial crisis the journalism is facing. Like, there is an effort that we are inheriting from the states to just discredit. Like, even if we get journalists in all those legislatures, we're getting to a point where, like, we're so hated. We're so out of touch with how hated we are. We really are. Like, I like, don't think we're out of touch with how hated we are. <laughs> I don't think I am anyway. The public, we work so hard. We're working overtime. We're doing this for you. And the public's like, you're a liar. And you're, and you know, learn to code. That's the new hashtag for all the laid off journalists. Learn to code. You know, he, he talks a little bit about how Donald Trump invented the phrase fake news and how it's an American thing coming up from the States. No, no. Donald Trump just popularized the term fake news. And like all good nicknames, of which Trump is the master Nicknames only stick if there's some truth to it. Low energy Jeb Bush, crooked Hillary Clinton. Those only worked because people said, yeah, I see that. Yeah, that's a good one. People don't say a nickname if it's not a good one. We know that the mainstream media is partisan and biased, and we know they're not neutral. We know that they're going to be much, much worse after the bailout goes through. We see that already. We know that they're fine with voices like ours being silenced because they're on the inside with the $595 million already asking for more money. The fact that these other journalists were part of this secret meeting and kept it a secret shows you that it's true. They really are bought and paid for. Because if they were real journalists, they would have reported on the newsworthy meeting they attended. They were bought and paid for, but not us. They will never buy us. 
and it will take Harjit Sajan and a tank to shut us up. Stay with us for more. now be afraid no 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 what don't you understand we've got to secure our borders our cultures and identities are under threat you're obsessed with the gender agenda please we women don't need special treatment the populists are winning elections kicking out the old god Oh my God, how exciting is that? I am ready to sign up for the battle. That is Janice Atkinson. She's a member of the European Parliament for the United Kingdom. She's a Brexiteer. And as you can see, she is a fighter. Oh, I have watched that ad three times and I will watch it three more. And joining us now is Janice Atkinson. Great to see you and welcome to the Rev Hall. Oh, hi, Ezra. I'm so excited. You know, I've followed you for a number of years now, and you and I have stood on stages for the Freedom Marches in London, and I'm, I'm really, really delighted I'm joining you. It's, it's very exciting. Well, we're excited, too. I remember we met uh, at the Royal Courts of Justice, if I recall, when Tommy yeah. was uh, making his appeal, and I saw you on the street outside the Old Bailey, and our friend Jack Buckby interviewed you at length, so you, we sort of know each other, and I thought, you know... Janice, you are a heck of a fighter. Tell our viewers who might not be familiar with you, including our viewers in North America, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a member of the European Parliament. Some folks here on this side of the, of the pond probably are not familiar with that. Can you give us a, a one minute background on that? Yeah, um, the European Parliament is a supranational body that uh, is accountable to no one. We might be elected, but we don't actually, we, we can't propose any legislation and we can't repeal any legislation. So this supranational body who are unelected, who are called the EU commissioners, um, are, are, are sit above us and then they propose legislation. And they come to committee, we discuss that, generally it's not rejected. And the European Parliament is made up by liberal leftists. There's even communists in the in the parliament because we're elected under a proportional representation system so it doesn't matter how many times the brexiteers you know the people like me go into the parliament we argue our case against migration open borders higher taxes assaults against the family because all this legislation comes straight down from the commission it's voted for in parliament it goes straight onto our statute books i mean can you imagine north america and canada not being able to amend any legislation. It goes straight onto your statute books. Anyway, I'm really pleased. I, I 
I, I, I've campaigned for Brexit for 20 years and we're nearly there. And I shall no longer be an MEP and I shall be truly happy. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because, I mean, there's a lot of shenanigans and, and, and intrigues and I'm doing my best to understand it from here in Canada. But the fact is, in just a couple months, the UK will be out of the European Union, whether or not there's a deal or no deal, it's out. And, and you will no longer be a member of the European Parliament You're, because the UK will be out of it, right? Yes, oh, well, absolutely. It's actually written into our, our statute books that in 60 days' time, as we're recording this, we will leave on the 29th of March 2019. It's our Freedom Day, our Brexit Day. We get our sovereignty back, we get our borders back, and we leave. Uh, there's a whole load of shenanigans going on in the British Parliament at the moment because there's some ultra-remainers, because actually, you know, they're just social democrats. They've never actually run anything in their lives. They've never run a business. They've only ever been in politics. They've gone to elite schools, elite universities, and then there's a fast track into Parliament. Uh, this started under David Cameron, it started under Blair, and so therefore they don't actually know how to run a country. So we are taking back control. I don't know what we're actually giving it to. So the next battle is to get into the British Parliament. Now, what kind of subjects uh, do you propose to report on and provide commentary for us here at the Rebel? Because obviously, as a member of the European Parliament, you've covered everything. It really is sort of like being an MP, but like you say, without the democratic legitimacy and without the power. But you've, I mean, you've surely met some very interesting characters. You've probably seen where the, quote, the bodies are buried at the EU. Like, you know more about that institution than 99.9% .9 of people. Tell us some of the things that you are going to focus on in the months ahead for your reportage. Okay, well, the battle for, for migration and closing our borders has, hasn't ended. You know, it's just a beginning. The EU Parliament goes into elections in May of this year, so I'll be covering what's going on there because this is about the battle of our continent. This is the biggest battle that our continent has faced since 1945. And I don't say that lightly because we got the battle of the populists. We've got the chief populist in power in the US. And like you with Trudeau, we have to put up with these liberal lefties sitting in the European Parliament. And they've had it their own way for a number of years now. And with the likes of Matteo Salvini, Geert Wilders and Stracker, all my friends who are now either in opposition or running governments and Marine Le Pen, I'll be interviewing those main players and saying about what do they want, what do their voters want, because they're now in government. How do you want to shape our continent? Because we're at this tipping point, basically, in Europe. And Europe isn't just about the EU, it's a wider continent as well. And so, therefore, it's important that we get Salvini's uh, party, Lega Nord, is likely to be the largest party in Italy coming through. And also Marine Le Pen is likely to be, again, the largest party. And also yeah, Wilders. So let's go into the, the, their parliaments. Let's interview their people. Go to the EU parliament, interview them, follow them on the campaign trail. And also we're talking about immigration. Um, I wrote a book earlier this year with using all EU statistics, which covered the migrant crime wave. We've seen this unprecedented crime wave from the migrants that have been forced us upon us by the Liberal left. And again, I'll be uncovering those stories 
hopping over to France, having to see, see what's going on, with just not Macron's uh, gilet jaunes, the yellow vest, but actually what's happening on the ground. This man and successive governments, um, previous governments before him, have just allowed this march of people that sit on our borders waiting to break into my country. And many of them are very, very successful. So I'll be covering those areas. Um, unmasking the EU ahead of the elections. Um, let's expose it for what it is. When I arrived there, I thought I knew this pretty awful um, body that cost millions and millions and millions of pounds a year for the 500 million people across Europe. But you actually, when you actually get in there, you don't realise, it's only then you actually realise the length of the legislation that's gone on to our statute books, and also the waste, the cars, the just the amount of money. I'm not going to give you uh, too much information at the moment, but we'll, we'll take the cameras in and we expose this, and we'll play this to the peoples across Europe and North America. When Trump got elected, he reiterated what Kissinger said basically a few years ago. Who do I pick up the phone to and call in Europe? But what Trump said as a supplement to that is he knows if he wants to talk to France, he talks to Macron. If he wants to talk to my country, he talks to May. If he wants to talk to Italy now, he talks to Salvini. You don't pick up the phone to anybody in Europe. Europe doesn't exist. You might pretend it's this great foreign international body. It doesn't. He downgraded them a few weeks ago with the ambassador status because Obama had elevated them. So it's going in and exposing what they are and how we reshape Europe and how we work with Canada, US, the Commonwealth, across the world. And we shut down these supranational bodies that are run by the global elite. Davos man. That's what those are the, just a few things that I'll be doing for you. Yeah. You know, um, I, I want to ask you a question because I've enjoyed my visits to the United Kingdom over the last year, even though I went there for tough reasons. I, I really reconnected with the mother uh, country, uh, speaking as a Canadian. And I can imagine that, you know, explaining to ordinary Brits why they should care about the EU, uh, it's an important job because normal people say, well, what about my, you know, I care about my home, my city, my country. To care about things that happen in a faraway place, it, you have to really sort of make an effort because it's not in front of your face all the time. And I suppose here in North America, where the rebel is based, people would say, well, why should we even care about the UK? But my theory has always been, and I've said this, Janice, is that what happens in Europe today happens in the United Kingdom tomorrow, then in Canada, and then in the United States. So all the bad trends, whether it's open borders migration, uh, the Islamification of society, the control by these global elites, this UN-style European Union, the reason we'd rather study it in France and Germany and Italy is because if we can learn about it there, we don't have to go through their bad experiences here. They, they can be the warning to us. That's, that's the case I would make to any Canadians and Americans following what's going on in the continent. Do you make that case to Brits also? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Brits are, are pretty switched on. Um, we do look at global um, issues. We do read global news. We watch very closely what happens in the US because basically what happens in the US affects us all. We, you know, we keep a good eye on Russia and what's happening there as well. And, you know, and because we, we do have a global outlook, look, we are global Britain. We do have the Commonwealth and we do have the big ties with, with, with Canada. Um, so therefore, and also we've been building a case on the Brexit side of, of the debate to uncover what's been going on in the European Parliament. And absolutely, I mean, the, the, the European Parliament is no different from the UN. I mean, there's some shocking things coming out of the UN at the moment. The people are being so-called elected onto their bodies. It's very a leftist organisation. They've got um, ethnic minorities from Timpot countries from Africa sitting on their, their boards. And those people are coming to my country and from South America, uh, from despot countries in South America, and they are assessing us on our poverty, on our equality, on our racial politics. And we say, no, no more. The UN has to be disbanded. The European Union has to be disbanded. And because it does have this profound effect, because up until recently, um, Edra, they've had it all their own way. You know, take the gender agenda, another book that I'm, I'm writing at the moment. This, this notion that just because you pump yourself full uh, of a few hormones and you chop off your private parts, you can be a man or a woman. You can't. You know, it's basic sex, it's basic understanding of biology. But out of nowhere, suddenly, you know, this is this is this is put onto our statute books. It is going into our schools. We've got drag queens in the UK, which actually has been imported from California, going in to teach five-year-olds story time. It's got to stop. We've got mental illness amongst a lot of people who think they are one sex because it's being promoted by the governments. And again, I'm going to be unwrapping this sort of thing. And this racial, racial identity politics. And again, where has it come from? It's crept up from behind us. Nobody's voted for any of this. So I say to my North American cousins, be afraid, be very, very afraid, hmm. because these laws are thought up by people on enormous salaries that have got enormous degrees and they're sitting there with their, their computers saying, oh, let's do trans stuff, let's do gender stuff, let's do racial politics, right? And, and then before we know it, it's on our statute books and it's coming to you and via the UN. Very interesting. Well, I tell you this, uh, you live in a target-rich environment and I accept your points that Brits are probably more switched on to this because of course your country has just gone through the entire Brexit campaign and then the two years of dilly-dallying. So yeah, actually come to think of it, I bet Brits think about the EU a lot more than Canadians or Americans think about the UN. If we ever had a referendum on the United Nations, boy, that would be a fascinating vote. I don't think our politicians would trust us with that. Janice, it's great to talk with you. I look forward to your work with the Rebel, both based in the UK and around the world. Welcome aboard and keep up the fight. Thank you. You too, Ezra. Together, united in defiance, we'll win. All right. There you have it. Well, that's Janice Atkinson, the latest member of the Rebel team. And she's joining us and she's going to be covering politics from the UK and the continent of Europe and anywhere she wants. So much to say. I'm very excited to have her join us. Stay with us. More ahead on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back to my monologue yesterday. Robert writes, 
Junior's approval ratings say it all. The election is only nine months away, and reality is starting to stare PM Butts in the face. The walls are closing in, and Butts is acting more and more unhinged as time goes by. Yeah, you know what? I remember when I got on Twitter, I guess it's almost 10 years ago now. Um, what I liked about it, the real insight for me, I'm sort of hooked on it now, it's a terrible habit, is um, I could see the media party journalists harmonizing in real time. It was like birds, how do they get in that flock formation? Like, how? how? Who taught them? That's an instinct, right? But they do still have to, okay, you're there and I'm here and we'll all just go, what's the message? Like birds in a formation. Watching Twitter in real time is like watching the birds line up. And, and so it gives away too much. Journalists like it because it's like a dear diary. Here's how I really feel in a, in a form that my editor would keep out because it's, it's too personal or emotional. But we get to see the real thoughts in real time, usually uncensored and often unwise, of journalists. And Gerald Butts, the principal secretary of the prime minister, really the policy boss in this country, he makes the same mistake. He indulges his emotions. He indulges his rage. He indulges his fury. He says personal insults. He shows too much of who he is, which is fascinating. It's an insight into the liberals we would never be able to get otherwise. I recommend joining Twitter just to watch what Gerald Butts tweets. Because unlike Justin Trudeau, who just has like a staff of 24 writing tweets for him, Gerald Butts does his own tweets. It is a fascinating insight, not only into what this government does, but what this government thinks about you. And I can sum it up in three words, racist, Islamophobic Nazis. There you go. Tammy writes, the optics are horrible, and it certainly is offensive to veterans, current members of the military, and all Canadians who are awake and see Trudeau et al. for what they are. I think you're referring to the Omar Khadr being listed as a Canadian soldier. I think I'm almost persuaded by the YouTube, uh, sorry, Google search boss that this was an automatic machine thing and they took something and it was automatically compiled by machine. I'm almost willing to believe him. I mean, these guys lie all the time. And there's no way we could ever check and they know that. But they didn't put up a fuss. They changed it pretty quick. That in itself, I don't think is news. The news, the super weirdness, was how Gerald Butts was furious with their decision. That's crazy. Liza writes, they don't even try to hide their contempt and utter disrespect of Canadians anymore. Yeah, that's what, I mean, well, I think, I mean, I know it's not just an I think. I wrote a book about Omar Khadr. Uh, we've done a ton of, I mean, I used to do more about it back in the Sunday's Network when the story was fresher. Angus Reid did a poll about Omar Khadr. 70 plus percent of Canadians didn't want the pay. So it's not just me. I'm, it's not me and it's not just you. The whole country hates the Cotter deal. They hate that he's being turned into a saint, not the whole country, but the vast majority and the majority of every party. Why would the liberals embrace him in a weird technical fight over a Google search that they were losing? But why would they want to stimulate a public discussion about Omar Khadr unless they are crazy, true believers in Islamism and rehabilitating unrepentant terrorists? I think they are crazy. I really think they are. Oh, well, we're here to give the other side of the story. Folks, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, see you at home. Good night. And keep fighting for freedom.